0: Well, hey, I want to say a big welcome to all of you who are watching on Northview TV, but also a special welcome uh, to our campuses that have begun meeting again publicly. Uh, So those of you over in Mission, great to see you uh, through this camera. Those of you in Central Abbey. And then we know that there are folks that are watching from all across BC, some friends in Saskatchewan. And of course, my mom is watching from Oregon. Uh, it has been a, a very interesting week and I'm going to ask you to have your Bibles open to 2nd Chronicles, Old Testament book 2nd Chronicles. But before we get into the message time, I'm just going to meander around a little bit some of the information of this last week. Obviously, Tuesday was a massive celebration for all of us as we heard the announcement from our local health authorities that the state of emergency was going to be lifted on July 1st and that all restrictions on worship gatherings would be lifted and we could gather again. Now, those of you who are discerning and quick thinking people, I am sure took note of the fact that our own right honorable, Dr. Jeff Bucknam, finished his public ministry with us on June 30th and that the state of emergency was lifted on July 1st. Coincidence? Maybe, maybe something more sinister, who knows? But we are so excited Uh, to be able to gather again. Uh, We know that uh, for some of you, you have likely already had a mask-burning party and you have booked your calendar full all the way through the summer to meet with party after party after party. We also know that others are a little more cautious and for some, coming back to our public gatherings and the thought of coming into a fully packed auditorium uh, makes you a little bit nervous and we want to give each other grace in this period. In fact, the fact that we're reopening in summer is probably a grace to us. Uh, But we want you to know that we are trying to make space, so particularly on Saturday and Sunday nights. We know that the attendance at those services is typically lighter. And so we'd encourage you, if you're a little more cautious about being in a fully packed room, uh, that you would join us on Saturday nights or Sunday nights. And we're going to monitor what happens over the summer and we may open some more venues and we'll just see how that goes. Uh, But in particular, uh, we want to get our children's ministries ramped back up as quickly as possible. Those of you parents of young kids know that we have limited uh, children's ministry, had to limit children's ministry to groups of 50. And so that made it tight for families registering and we would like to open that as quickly as possible. And of course, that's really dependent upon the number of volunteers we get so if you were formerly a volunteer in children's ministry i would encourage you to get your name back in that rotation as quickly as possible and as we've got the workers we need we will continue to expand the numbers of kids that we can minister to uh, on every weekend additionally while we're talking about kids ministry i want to let you know that starting this this monday july 5th uh, we are going into several weeks of children's day camps all the way through the month of July. Uh, there's gonna be several different camps in several locations. And so encourage you both of all, there are some more volunteers needed, but most importantly for all of us, uh, that as the Spirit of God reminds you that you would be praying uh, for the workers, but in particular that you'd be praying for all the children who will be attending these day camps. Uh, that is they hear the gospel of Jesus and for some of them maybe the first time that they hear it. Uh, that it would begin to take root in, uh, in their young hearts and minds. So anyway, that's where we're heading on summer. Uh, this week has been an, an emotional week on so many fronts, as you can imagine. Uh, last weekend, Pastor Jeff preached his final message to us at Northview. Uh, on Tuesday, pretty well the whole day was a staff day of saying goodbye. In the morning, we met as an entire staff team with Pastor Jeff and Jeannie. Uh, we worshiped together, we prayed together. Uh, A couple of our elders uh, were there with us, and on behalf of the church, they presented a really cool gift uh, to Jeff and Jeannie. They bought them these wonderful winter coats, which come February in the windy city of Chicago. uh, They are going to appreciate these really great winter coats uh, that we gave them, and and they'll be remembering Northview when they put on those coats. Uh, That evening... Uh, We met with Jeff and Jeannie and the staff outside uh, in our tents and broke up there into the tables and had a great evening of barbecue and telling of stories, lots of laughter. I think a highlight for some of us through the day, uh, Jeff over the years has mentioned his Christian kitsch collection, uh, all these trinkets and trash as he called it, the the memorabilia, the the weird and wacky stuff that people put together to uh, promote Jesus and Christianity. And he had a whole box that we took a draw on He gave away a lot of that that Christian kitsch to us as a team, so that was really cool. But it was an emotional week for sure. And then of course there's the lifting of the state of emergency and all the conversations around that, uh, all of the uh, the questions and the wonderings. Uh, One in particular that you may be wondering about is the future of Northview TV. Uh, During this pandemic we have been making a real effort uh, to produce a, a high quality, weekend service for all of us uh, watching from home and we know for sure that Northview TV will continue in one shape or form Uh, we don't know precisely what that will look like come fall Uh, but if you have ideas around it or if you'd like to see it continue in some form we would be happy to hear from you Uh, but our team is is planning ahead for what we're going to be doing in the fall and on top of all of that of course is the cultural moment Uh, that we find ourselves in, in particular as we passed 154th Canada Day celebration. And this year it was a much more somber day as we were drawn to the attention of the horrible atrocities that happened right here on Canadian soil as the discovery of these bodies on residential schools have been found. And how sobering that was and it was a time to pause and to reflect, to pray And I just grieve with those who grieve. And then finally, and maybe it's just for me personally, it's the beginning of a new chapter here at Northview as we've turned this page. And for me, you ask the question, well, what do you speak on the very first weekend as the new lead pastor? And as I reflected on the first days, it it feels almost like a new relationship. And, And of course, not just a dating relationship because we've already taken the plunge, if you will, but it's like the first days of a new marriage, but even like an arranged marriage. And I was remembering years ago uh, an Indian friend uh, from South Asia here in BC who was a single pastor and he told us he's going home to get married. His folks had found him a wife and he was gone to uh, South India for many months. And on his return, he has this beautiful young woman at his side. And I remember him sharing with a group of pastors saying, you know what, in the West you date and then you fall in love and then you get married. But in South India, we marry and then we date, and then we fall in love. Uh, It was such an interesting analogy for me, and in some ways I feel like that's what's happened to us. We have gotten married, and now we're gonna date, and Lord willing, over the coming years, as we get to know each other better, we will fall in love. And I am certain that there are certain themes from my life and my story, just like there were with Pastor Jeff, that you might get tired of hearing because it's my memory. It's my stories. It's my background. And every one of us are a product of our own family, our own upbringing, uh, our own spiritual journey toward Jesus. And so there will be some things that I come back to again and again because it's my story that you will get to hear. Uh, There's an exercise actually we go through with church planters in their assessment process uh, where they get to tell a little bit of their story in just a very short 10 or 15 minutes. And we encourage them to draw a family crest or shield, and on that shield to divide it into four quadrants, four H's actually, their heritage, their heroes, their hard times, and their highlights. And it's amazing how much you can get to know about a person in just 10 or 15 minutes if they put two or three bullet points under each one of those, their heritage, their heroes, their hard times and their highlights. It's, it's why over the years I have loved to read obituaries, and of course now with print media going the way of the dodo bird, it's harder to come across, but once in a while when you pick up like the National Post, I, I will often turn right away to the obituaries. Uh, first, to make sure that my name isn't listed there. But then it's just interesting, the things that you learn about people at the end of their life that you never knew about them. And one theme that I know for sure is going to come up again and again as we get to know each other, is this theme, this biblical theme of awakening and renewal and revival. A desire to see and hear and to experience the presence of God in our lives. And and you might ask, well, why is that an important theme to you personally? And I'm sure there's many factors, but probably preeminently among them is the massive impact that my father's death had on my life when I was just 15 years old. Dad was 49, and I didn't fully understand it at the time, but my father, pastor, was neck deep in the greatest theological battle of his life. He had somehow landed in a progressively liberal church, uh, specifically a church that was drifting in their commitment to the Word of God. Asking questions like, is this book really reliable? Is it authoritative? Can we trust it? Isn't it filled with errors? In short, it was a church that had lost her way theologically. They had drifted, they had grown apathetic, they had grown forgetful. Uh, Many have heard that analogy of how the gospel is so easily lost from generation to generation. How one generation believes the gospel, the next assumes the gospel, the next forgets the gospel, and finally, We deny the gospel. And that can actually happen not over a period of four generations, but even in an individual life or in a family life. In fact, every family is just one generation away from complete paganism, if you will. Christian parents can raise their kids in the church and teaching them the things of God and the word of God and about the love of Jesus. But if those children do not personalize that faith, If those children do not take it to heart and embrace a faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they will grow up and they can marry and they will raise their kids completely outside the church and outside the gospel. And so you can have godly grandparents, forgetful or rebellious children and a completely lost generation of grandkids. That's how quickly this can take place in a family. But most important, of course, is as we read the Bible, because this theme comes up again and again, the the cycles of white-hot spiritual passion, people on fire and a zeal for God. And then just a few moments or a few pages later, the nation is in a spiritual freefall, running away from rebelling against the mercy of God and suffering the unraveling of their lives. So God calls the children of Israel out of Egypt and they'd seen his incredibly mighty works and all the miracles and yet just a few pages later they're at the foot of Mount Sinai and Moses is up on the hill talking to God and the people are rebellious and they, they, they get Aaron to cast them a new God, a golden calf out of the fire and they worship and they want to go back to Egypt. When you hit the fast forward button, they finally do settle into the promised land, this land of milk and honey. And even though they were warned in advance, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget God in the times of peace and prosperity, they do precisely that, they forget. And the book of Judges in the Old Testament records seven cycles of how the people walk with God, they grow cold, they walk away from God, God judges them for their sin. They cry out to him, and he answers, and he restores them. Cycle after cycle. Spiritual high to spiritual low, and back to spiritual high again. Patterns everywhere in the Old Testament, through thousands of years of Old Testament history. Now, the New Testament account, of course, is is much shorter. Uh, The New Testament covers only about 100 years, in fact, less than 100 years. But even here in the New Testament, we see the warning. The warning to guard your heart your mind your faith to not let your guard down spiritually speaking and at the end of the new testament we have the example of the seven letters in the book of revelation to seven churches in asia minor those churches would have been about the same age as northview church They would have been planted 30, 40 years earlier, largely out of the ministry of the Apostle Paul, and now just 30, 40 years into their life and their ministry, they are all facing some type of a spiritual crisis and being called back to a renewal, a time of awakening and revival. If you fast forward through church history, you see how the Spirit of God moves in different times and places. How times of renewal and refreshing will fall on a people and people are saved and discipled. There's change in their marriages and in their families and how they deal with money and power and relate to the culture around them. And literally, like Acts 17.4 says, the world gets turned upside down by the gospel. And communities and even nations that can get turned upside down by the gospel. In fact, most denominations were birthed in revival fires, ours included. Uh, We happen to be part of the Mennonite Brethren, family of churches. And if you know our history, you will know that on the southern plains of Russia, in the breadbasket of Russia in the mid-1800s, there were large groups of Mennonite settlers who had gone there for the free land, this rich, fertile land, and they had grown wealthy. And in their wealth and in their peace and their prosperity, they grow spiritually complacent. They drift away from God and they lost the vibrancy of their faith and the orthodoxy of their confession. And God sent a German pietist preacher, a guy named Edwin Wiest, came to the southern prairies of Russia to preach revival among these people groups. And in 1860, a group of families got together in that revival, and they formed this new family that today we call the Mennonite Brethren. That's our heritage. Does rich Mennonite mean anything to you? I wonder about history repeating itself. The point is this. That left to ourselves, without an intentional effort and intervention by the Spirit of God and the regular fresh encounters with God, we tend towards spiritual drift. In fact, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy, uh, because the principles of God's Word lived out among a people and a nation bring the blessings of God. Psalm 33 says that, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So you live by the Word, and you are blessed But that very blessing, that peace, and that prosperity is a great danger. In fact, over our lives, our homes, our cars, our families, our bank accounts, we should write danger, 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 spiritually speaking, that we might grow fat and lazy and soft and complacent. So with all that meandering, I want to invite you, or I did already invite you, to have your Bibles open to 2 Chronicles 6 and 7. Over the summer, you're gonna hear from a good number of our teaching team. We always do that in the summer. A bunch of the guys preach. Uh, We are in a series simply called Seconds. Uh, We are gonna look at some selected scriptures from books that have a two in their name. So, 2 John, 2 Timothy, 2 Thessalonians. And today, we're gonna start that series with an Old Testament second from 2 Chronicles 6 and 7. And we're going to read a good chunk of it, so you're going to want to have your Bibles in front of you. But for now, the one key verse, the one central verse, which will be the main point of our message, is 2 Chronicles 7.14, and it reads like this. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now many of you will have heard that passage before. It's one of the more famous Old Testament passages where God calls his people to prayer and to repentance. Just give me a moment here. Almost every book that you read on revival or renewal or awakening prayer will quote this passage. It is one of the clearest promises regarding the power and priority of prayer and also the conditions that God puts on awakening. And I'll tell you up front where I'm headed. I'm gonna invite you to a season of summer prayer, to reflect on your own life and to pray for renewal in our church, our city, our nation. And I wanna leave you with some questions about your own spiritual journey that you can take with you. As we come out of this COVID season, I can't think of a more important thing that the people of God could be doing than getting before God in prayer and saying, oh God, have mercy on us. Oh God, have mercy. With all the craziness that is going on around us, the the question of Isaiah needs to be asked, is the arm of the Lord too short that he cannot save? And of course the answer is no, of course he can save. He's done it before, he can do it again. And so we're asking you, Lord, do it again and do it here and do it with us. 2 Chronicles 7.14 is actually a a very popular verse, but I wonder how many rattle it off, maybe even from memory, but haven't taken time to dig into the context, and so that's what we're going to do for a few moments. This is a conversation between God and King Solomon. His father David had laid out all the plans for building the temple in Jerusalem. The Lord had told him, you won't be the one to build this temple, but you can get ready. You can draw up the plans, you can gather the supplies, you can raise the money, but it will be your son, Solomon, who actually builds this temple. And so 2 Chronicles opens with the building of the temple of God, and then in chapter 5 through 7, we come to the dedication day after seven years of construction, this massive celebration as the temple is dedicated. And the glory of God fills the place and the celebrations of the people, and in the midst of this we listen to a conversation between Solomon and the Lord. Uh, If we had that good old time travel machine, this again is one of those must stop over places in the Old Testament to be in Jerusalem the day that the original temple was opened. The Ark of the Covenant is moved from its temporary home, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And it is carried into the Holy of Holies, and then the worship team strikes up. The band and the choirs, the orchestra start to play, and the the people start to sing, He is good, he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. And then in 2 Chronicles 5, 13 and 14, it says this, When the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise for the Lord, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house. The glory of the Lord filled the house. And then starting at chapter 6, verse 12, we read Solomon's prayer of dedication he stands up before the people on a stage spec- built specifically for this occasion about five feet above the people so that they could see him and he gets down on his knees and he spreads out his hands toward heaven and he starts to pray chapter 6 verse fourteen: O lord there is none like you in heaven and on earth. In chapter six, verse 18, he he in essence says, is it possible, Lord, that you're truly going to make your dwelling among us? Here above the mercy seat, as you promised to Moses inside the Holy of Holies uh, on that Ark of the Covenant where the cherubim, the wings over the mercy seat, you said there is the meeting place. There the glory of God will dwell. Is it true? It It seems almost impossible from a human point of view that the living God would dwell among his people. But if it's true, Lord, then hear my prayer. Hear my prayer. And then he goes into this incredibly interesting prayer. It's not actually the kind of prayer I think you would anticipate at the day of the dedication of a a new church, a new building, a new temple. Because really what the next verses go on to say is, Lord, this is actually an awesome day for sure. But Lord, you know already that we're going to walk away from you. So Lord, would you have mercy on us in advance would you prepare your heart that you will receive us back after we have rebelled and we don't have time to unpack it phrase by phrase and verse by verse but you can scan through the text chapter 6 verse 22 if we sin against our neighbors verse 24 when we're defeated in battle verse 26 when you lord god hold back the reins because we've sinned against you verse 28 if there's famine in the land Verse 32, when an outsider comes into this house and lifts their hands in prayer to you. Verse 34, when an enemy arises and we're drawn into battle because of our sin. In all of these circumstances, Lord, we cry out to you, hear our prayer and forgive our land. And then the summary of that prayer is this longer chunk. So follow along in your Bibles. Chapter six, beginning at verse 36. If they sin against you. For there is no one who does not sin. And you're angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they're carried away captive to a land far or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which you have carried them captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity, saying, we've sinned and we've acted perversely and wickedly, if they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity to which you carried them captive and pray toward their land which you gave their fathers to the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and their prayer and their pleas and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, O my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer in this place." And as Solomon finishes up his prayer, we're told in chapter 7, verse 1, that fire falls from heaven, and the glory of the Lord fills the temple, so much so that the priests can't enter into the presence of God. The people bow down to the ground in worship, their faces on the ground, giving thanks to God. He is good. He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Now the next week is a major party. For the next seven days, pull out the barbecue, food and wine in abundance. You feed the whole city, everyone who's come for this celebration, for seven long days with worship and choirs and every instrument known to man, loud crashing cymbals and trumpets blaring. The Lord is pleased to dwell among his people. And then at the end of those seven days, there is one final day added on top. An eighth day, a solemn assembly. It's like a book into the week. That dedication prayer a week earlier and on the eighth day, a a tone of reverence and consecration and holiness before the Lord. And then they are sent back to their villages. And after that feast is over, we get to our text. The people have been sent home and it says in chapter 7, verse 12 to 15, the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. And when I shut up the heavens, so there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place." Now note that verse 15 because it is a direct repeat of Solomon's request in chapter 6 verse 40. Oh my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayers in this place. What God promises Solomon is simply this, you've got my guarantee You've got my guarantee under the conditions that I have just outlined, you can be assured that I will hear and answer your prayer. It is a promise that is given to a particular people in a particular predicament and found in a particular posture. Do you like all those P's? A particular people in a particular predicament, finding found in a particular posture. Now, there are many promises in the Bible to lots of different people. But in this context, the Lord makes it very clear that it is a particular people that he is referring to. He says, if my people, if my people who are called by my name, in other words, we are talking about the home team. Men and women who have set their face to follow after the Lord, men and women and boys and girls who have made a profession of faith and trust, men and women who would say openly, I am a follower of Jehovah God in the Old Testament, Yahweh. Or in the New Testament, I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can call me a Christian. You can call me a disciple. You can call me a learner, a follower, a worshiper. Call me what you want to call me, but this is my team, and these are my people. I am part of the company of God's children, if my people, beginning with the house of God. But note the particular situation. Note the predicament that they find themselves in. In verse 13, he he is talking to people in dark times. The Lord's summary statement is simply this, when the heavens are shut up. You could go back into chapter 6, all of those prayers beginning at verse 22 that, that Solomon had laid out. When there's famine in the land, when there's war, when we've sinned against you, all of those circumstances summarized here in verse 13, when the heavens are shut. When the storm clouds are rising, when the hand of God seems to be removed from our lives, when our own sin has drawn us away, and we find ourselves with a back to the wall, when culture, when society, when political powers are aligned against us, or if you want to put it in the modern vernacular, when the fecal matter hits the rotating cooling device, I've got your back. I am here. I am on call, I am waiting for you. It is a hopeful promise, but make no mistake that it was written for desperate times. It's written for when we've reached the end of the rope, when hope is gone, when darkness seems to be closing in around us and when everything that could go wrong has gone wrong in our darkest hour. Then the Lord says to Solomon, if my people are willing to adopt a particular posture, I can promise you that I stand ready to answer their prayer. If they humble themselves, if they pray and seek my face, if they turn from their wicked ways. I remember years ago praying with an older brother. He was already in his 80s but he was a faithful prayer warrior for the ministry of the church and for the advance of the gospel in our nation. And I remember him reading this particular text at the start of a pre-service prayer meeting on on a Sunday morning before the gathering, and then simply making this comment, there are a lot of ifs in this text. You see, what God is promising Solomon is an amazing thing. I'm going to do for you exactly what you have asked me to do for you a week ago when you prayed at the dedication. You asked me to have my eyes open and my ears attentive, and I will, but there is a requirement. And the requirement is that you come to me in a posture of humility, a posture of eagerly seeking my face, a posture of repentance, being willing to turn away from the very sin that got you in the mess that you're in right now. Now, many of you know how the story unfolds. Israel does exactly the opposite of what God asks them to. They turn their back. They embrace false gods. They adopt the ways of the world around them. They make spiritual compromises. And eventually, God lifts his hand of blessing from the nation. Enemy forces invade. And in wave after wave, they are taken captive by Egypt, by Assyria, and ultimately by Babylon. And there in their captivity, God repeats his promise to them, build houses, plant gardens, give your kids in marriage, pray for the peace and prosperity, even as prisoners of war. And then through Jeremiah's pen, he sends this promise for thus the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Now listen to this, then you will call on me. You will call on me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. As we come out of this long winter of COVID, 16 months of disruption to our lives, I can't think of a more important passage of scripture for us to be meditating on over these summer months. However you describe it, I'm sure all of you will admit that we're living in unprecedented times, never before in my lifetime. Have I seen the level of cultural hostility toward the church and the things of God? Our nation has been unraveling on so many fronts. Of course, there's the debate and the division over how we handle the pandemic and the response to COVID-19, and on certain days that debate has seemed to be so massive, but I think honestly in the big scheme of things that it's actually pretty small potatoes. I think that debate is gonna pass pretty quickly as things go back to normal. But there are greater and deeper and further reaching divides in our culture that are threatened to unravel our nation. Most recently, of course, is the, the discovery of unmarked graves at residential schools. And these have opened old wounds and they have shaken all of us to some degree. The horrific abuse that happened on our own soil And then the response in these last couple weeks of the burning and the vandalism of churches that indicate to us the the pain that people are feeling. And as Christians, we are called to grieve with those who grieve, and we do. We're broken, and we must cry out, oh, God, have mercy. God, have mercy on us. But beyond those recent events is the radical reshaping and redefining of everything that we would have once known as traditional values, quote-unquote. There is a new moral revolution that's taking place and seeking to permanently reshape our understanding of marriage and family and sexuality and identity and human flourishing, as we have historically understood it. And we must cry out, oh God, have mercy. The rising tide of opposition for any voice that would speak an opposing view to the party line is growing. The cancel culture that shuts down any debate. And how long before the Bible is considered hate speech and public teaching is curtailed? The days seem to be getting darker for sure, but the hope of the gospel is this, that the darker the days get, the brighter the light of the gospel becomes. Darkness cannot overcome the light. As I was preparing, I thought of a phrase from The Fellowship of the Rings, J.R. Tolkien's book. And Frodo says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. In other words, I wish that I'd have to go through this challenge, this struggle, this darkness. And, And Gandalf answers, so do I. And so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. My prayer has been that COVID-19, has, if it has done nothing less, that it has awakened in us the privilege and the honor and the joy it is to be able to gather as the people of God. That more people will sit up and pay attention to the great need that we have in all of our lives for the encouragement of our brothers and sisters as we gather in worship, and that we would begin to pray in earnest for the renewal and the revival of our nation, that the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. And so as we head into this new season of ministry at Northview, I want to call you to prayer. Prayers for renewal and revival and awakening prayers for your own life and the lives of those closest to you, prayers for our church family and this specific season that we find ourselves in, prayers for our nation, the times and seasons that we live in. And not just lighting a small candle in the darkness, but literally to pile wood on it until it becomes a great spiritual bonfire. 300 years ago, In a small town outside of Boston, Massachusetts, a group of Christians began to pray for spiritual awakening. The key spiritual leader in that movement was a pastor named Jonathan Edwards, and if you've done any study in church history, you will have bumped into his name. Some call him the greatest philosophical and theological thinker in American history. He's known for his powerful expository preaching, for his theological depth, and for his pastoral heart. And at the end of his life, his presidency of Princeton University. But you can't study Edwards' life without soon bumping into the priority that he placed on earnest, unified, prevailing prayer for spiritual awakening. He preached passionately, about the need for awakening and the central part that prayer would play in the moving of the hand of God. And those early prayer meetings eventually led to what we today call the first great awakening how God's word and God's work eventually spread through that entire region and churches were renewed and revived and gospel preaching burst out of flame and literally tens of thousands came to saving faith. In today's equivalent numbers, over a million people in the northeast states and spilling over into Atlantic Canada. All of it birthed in prayer. Tim Keller, who has studied revivals much, says that there are four predictable stages in revival. And the first is that sleepy Christians wake up. The second is that nominal Christians actually get saved. The third is that non-Christians take note and they begin to embrace the gospel. And then finally, we see cultural transformation. And so often when we talk about revival and awakening, we want to rush ahead to stage three and four. We long to see tens of thousands coming to Christ. We long to see national transformation, but we forget that it begins with us. We forget a particular people in a particular predicament, in a particular posture, crying out to God. And so why not today? How desperately the church needs revival. How desperately our culture needs awakening. So let me ask you some questions. Questions that the Welsh ask one another during their revival at the early part of the 20th century. Questions where they met in small groups and said, How real has God been to your heart this week? Are you having any particular seasons of delight in God? Have you been finding Scripture to be alive and active? Are you finding certain biblical promises extremely precious and encouraging? Are you finding God challenging you or calling you to something through the word? Are you finding God's grace more glorious and moving now than you have in the past? On the way out the doors today, the ushers are going to have a little slip of paper with those questions written down. And I'm going to ask you, would you take one of those and tuck it into your Bible or your journal and come back to it over these summer months? A.W. Tozer, an Alliance pastor, said, anything that God has ever done, he can do now. Anything that God has ever done anywhere, he can do here. Anything that God has ever done with anyone, he can do for you. And so it's been my prayer over these past several weeks, and it's been a prayer I've come back to over and again through the years, and I'm sure that it will come up again in the years moving forward. Lord, do it again. Like the little child whose father throws him up in the air, or reads a good storybook, or tickles and plays with the child, and, and the kid giggles and says, Do it again, daddy, do it again. We need to cry out to our Father. What you've done in the past, Lord, we believe you can do today. What you've done anywhere, you can do with us here. What you've done with anyone, you can do with us, Lord. What you've done at any time, you can do it today. So, Father, do it again. Do it again. Awaken us, Lord. Show us your glory, Lord. Move with power and might. Humble us, Lord. Show us our chains. Show us our idols. Bring us to repentance. Have mercy on us, O God, and bring revival. Do it again. Do it again. So let me pray with you. So Father, I pray for the men and women and the boys and girls who are listening to this message no matter where they are. And I pray, Father, that by your spirit that you would take and apply what you want to apply into each individual life. Father, I pray for those who are walking in right relationship with you and are enjoying some of the sweetest seasons of their lives. But I also pray, Father, for those who have grown forgetful and complacent. I pray pray for those who have been assuming the gospel or maybe drifting from the gospel. Father, I pray for those who may be listening in that have even come to the point where they're ready to deny the gospel and walk away from it. Father, Isaiah asked the question, is the arm of the Lord too short to save? And then he answered it immediately, no. No, the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. Our times may be dark, but there's been many dark times in human history. And as we look back, we see those seasons of renewal when your people in hard times got on their knees before you in prayer, how you came true to your promise that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will heal their land. God may have made that true in our day. Would you pour out your healing first in our lives, in the lives of our family, and our friends, in our city, in our nation, and ultimately, Lord, this world, unto the glory of your name and your name alone. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen.